Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Today, uh, today we're entering the second half of our campaign that we're doing. We're doing a campaign called Rebuilding Our Lives. And uh, we, we felt the lead from the Holy Spirit to do this campaign because after the year that we had in 2020, uh, where we experienced much loss, you don't go back to normal. I don't know if anybody has stopped trying to go back to normal. Raina often tells me something that is so true and I just hate it. I hate it because it's so true. She says, Nestor, it's not 2019 anymore and it's not 2018 anymore. And she says that in the context of church, we'll, we'll be planning stuff, we'll be doing things. And I'll say, yeah, but in the past, and she says, Nestor, it's not 2019, it's not 2018 anymore. Things have changed. We experience a lot of loss. Personally, we have people who lost opportunities, people who lost their savings, people who lost a good job, people who lost uh, experiences that they'll never get again, like being able to graduate from high school, experiencing their freshman year in college. People lost uh, the, the, the wedding that they had planned. There was so much personal loss that we experienced. And as a church, we also experienced loss. We lost some wonderful people. There's some wonderful people that for whatever reason, they're no longer with us. There's some ministries that we had that we no longer have. And with so much loss, we can go back to normal. And we can't, we can't lick our wounds and just be victims and be miserable and say, well, we are going to weep over the good old days. No, we got to rebuild. And let me tell you something. In our life, we're constantly going to have to be rebuilding. Those of us that are married, you know that you constantly got to rebuild your marriage. Amen. Anybody with me? Right? It's like you're doing so good and then you say something stupid, especially us men. We say stupid stuff all the time. And then what happens? We got to rebuild again. Those of you that are parents... If you want to have a good relationship with your kids, you know you constantly have to be rebuilding that relationship, right? Because just when you think you got them figured out, they turn one more year, their hormones change, their desires change, and you got to what? Rebuild all over again. Right? We're constantly in a need to rebuild. So we decided that we're not going to lick our wounds and we're not going to be victims. We decided that we're not going to reminisce over the good old days, but that instead we're going to rebuild. That we believe that God has something wonderful ahead of us. And yes, it does take work. And yes, it might take some time, but we're going to rebuild and we're going to go after the new that God has for us in our future. And we're, t- and we're learning this from the, from the Israelites. They had been taken captive for 70 years. And after the 70 years, they returned back to their land to rebuild their lives and to rebuild their nation. This campaign of rebuilding our lives is composed of four series. We've already done two. 
the first one we talked about rebuilding what? You remember? The altars. And the altars are those places where we encounter, where we meet God. And whenever we meet God, God meets us at altars to what? To bless us. But then we also talked in our second series about rebuilding what? What was the second thing we needed to rebuild? Come on, anybody? The temple. And the temple speaks of our spiritual lives. The temple speaks about putting God first. If you missed any of those series or you just want to go back, we do have them available on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page. And we even have a podcast. Did you know we have a podcast? So I know you enjoy the sermons. You can re-listen to them during the week as you're driving to work. You don't have to listen to El Piolin. You don't have to listen to Big Boy. You can listen to Pastor Nestor on the way to work. Did you know that? Amen. All right. Well, today we're going to start our, our third series, and we're going to talk about rebuilding the walls. Let me tell you, anything, anything worth doing, Anything worth enduring needs four things. And we're going to, during this series, we're going to look at four things. And we're going to identify them as walls that protect us, that secure us, that give us strength. And if you're going to rebuild your life, you cannot rebuild it without these four walls or four pillars in your life. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We know that your presence is in this place, and we know that your word is truth. Lord, I know many are tired. I know many have a lot of things going on after church. I know many may be overwhelmed by just stress and worry, Lord. But I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would come and give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. That for the next 30 minutes, we would be able to focus on your word so that we would be that good soil on which the seed of your word lands and gives fruit a hundredfold. We don't want to come to church for an experience. We don't want to come to church, Lord, uh, out of religious duty. We want to come because we want to encounter a living God to see his living word active and true in our lives. So, Lord, I bind any distraction. I bind anything, Lord, that may rob us from receiving your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Well, our series on rebuilding the walls is going to be based on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah will be the central figure of our study. I want to challenge you that over the next month, in this month of October, that if you do not have a reading plan, that you would read through the book of Nehemiah at least once. It's a short book. It's a good book. It'll help you understand our series better. And this series on rebuilding the wall will be based on Nehemiah. Now, here's what you need to know about Nehemiah. In the book, he's going to play three roles. There's going to be three roles that he has. First, we're going to encounter him as the king, as the cupbearer. He was the one in charge of tasting the food and the drinks before the king ate them. And the reason that kings had a cupbearer was because one of the main ways that they got rid of kings was by poisoning them. 
So Nehemiah had to be somebody that the king trusted. Had to be somebody that the king liked. I don't know about you, but I'm not too good at sharing my drink with other people. And when I mean other people, I'm talking about my wife and kids. There's just something about the Baba. You know, Nathan, Nathan's drinks always end up with guppies in it, you know? I'm not too good with that. The other day, I, I, I had a taste of like Coke or something, and I said, oh, they put something in it. No, it was Nathan, you know? So, I'm sorry if I'm grossing you out. Just trying to give you an idea of how important the role that Nehemiah had was. So he was the cupbearer to the king. And it was in this position, listen to this, it was in this position, it was this duty that allowed him to be able to have the platform to do what God had really called him to do. And that's important because some of you, you're in places where you're saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. This has nothing to do with your kingdom. Let me tell you, God is setting you up. He knows what he's doing. He's put you with some bosses that are not Christians that he can use to expand his kingdom through you. Amen. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer, but then he becomes the builder. He's the one who orchestrates the work to build the walls. And then we find him at last being the governor in the story. If you're familiar with the story, you know that as Nehemiah was the cupbearer, uh, some friends came from Jerusalem. They came to give him a report of how things were with the exiles that had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. He wanted to know. You know, there was a passion. There was a seal for Jerusalem. There was, there was a desire for his nation to, to thrive again. And, and as Nehemiah gets the report, he gets the report that things are not going well. He says the walls are destroyed and Jerusalem is in pity. In fact, look at what he says. Look at what he says in Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18 as he finds that things are not going well. This creates a burden in him. Let me tell you something before we read that. If you've ever wondered, God, God, what's the purpose for my life? What do you want me to do with my life? One of the ways God reveals to you what he wants you to do is by showing you things that will make you unhappy and unsettle you. Did you know that? Now, what we often do is that we see those things and we complain about them. But what God wants you to do is to do something about them. And when Nehemiah found out that the walls of Jerusalem were in dismay, were in rubble, he was overwhelmed with such a burden that his appearance before the king was not a proper one. The king noticed something was wrong with Nehemiah. So he asked them and Nehemiah told them what was going on. And here's the awesome part. He asked the king for permission to go back to Jerusalem to build the walls. And not only did the king give him permission, he gave him all the resources he needed to do the task. That's when you know God's will is for your life. There is a burden and there's also a provision. But check this out. The burden always comes first. We want the provision, 
Oh, God, if you give me the 20 people, I'll start the church. No, no, he wants you to start the church. Then he'll send the 20. Oh, Lord, if you give me a team, we'll go out and evangelize. No, he wants you to go out and evangelize, and then he'll give you the team. Oh, Lord, if you give me the money, I'll start feeding the homeless. No, he wants you to start feeding the homeless, and then he'll give you the money. Amen? And, and King Xerxes gave Nehemiah all that he needed. In fact, he even gave him a soldiers to protect him. Isn't that awesome? Not only did he give him resources, he also protected them. So Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He notices the walls. He studies the walls. And after studies them, he calls the people together. And here's what he says to them in Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. He says, then I said to them, and this is Nehemiah speaking. You see the problem we have? Can you see the problem we have? Some people can't see because they're too distracted. Can you see the problem we have? Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are destroyed by fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem again that we may no longer be put to what? To shame. I have told him, I told him how the hand of my God had brought good to me and the words that the king had spoken to me. Then they said, look at what they said. Let us get up and what? And build. So they put their hands to the good work. Church, I want to tell you that this is the call of God on our lives to see what needs to be built and that we as one would say, let us rise and build what needs to be built. The truth is that many lives find themselves destroyed. The truth is that many areas of our lives are torn down and destroyed. The truth is that many areas in the church need to be built up and we need to be able to respond as they responded and say, Lord, let us rise and build. Now, when we talk about walls, you need to understand that we're talking about lives. We're not talking about literal walls. They're figurative. They're an illustration. We're talking about lives. Look at what Isaiah 49, 15 and verse 16 say. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? And every mom would answer what? No, you'd rather forget about your husband than about your child, right? Don't be doing that. It's a sin. When we had Maisley, I, I bought this book um, called uh, Our Marriage Can Survive Our First Child. Um, some of you, you need to read that. You're not on the first child, but, but you still need to read that. Um, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can she have no pity on the son to whom she gave birth? Even these may forget, but I will not what? Do you see how precious you are to God? God says, listen, it's hard for a mother to forget her nursing child. It's hard for a mother to forsake the child that she gave birth to. And even when that is capable, I will not forget you. So I I know some of you, 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 you're not doing what God wants you to do, but he hasn't forgotten you. I know some of you, you're wrestling with God, but he hasn't given up on you. Look at what he says. Now, some of you take this verse out of context, which you shouldn't, but look at what he says next. See, I have marked your names on my hands. Jesus does not have a tattoo of your name on him, okay? 
He's not one of those Mexican cholos with Maria on his shoulder. He, okay, figuratively. See, I have marked your names on my hands. And by the way, when he says I have marked your names on my hands, can you picture the holes in the hands of Jesus with your sins and my sins in them? And then he finishes by saying, your walls are what? Always. always before me. Your walls are always. In other words, your life is always before me. What the walls were to Jerusalem, our lives are to God. And if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with each other, many lives lie in ruin today. Many walls in our lives have been destroyed, have been burnt down. And see, it doesn't happen overnight. It's usually very gradually, right? It begins with a brick falling out of place. And then that brick leads into a crack. And then that crack becomes a hole. And when you less know it, our lives lie in ruin. Now, how is it that walls are destroyed? How is it that lives are destroyed? Well, sometimes because of negligence. Sometimes because of stubbornness. Sometimes because of selfishness. Sometimes because of lack of discipline. Sometimes because we procrastinate. Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Can I tell you something that the Holy Spirit convicted me of? You know, I, one of the things that I really want to work in my life is, is not being a procrastinator and saying, well, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll get to it. And uh, Lorena, Lorena will always, you know how, how wives have a honey-do list? You know, um, nobody laughs. You're smart. You're smart. I can see Lorena's eyes piercing through my heart right now. But, <laughs> but the other day, the other day, the Holy Spirit convicted me because she, she'll tell me, hey, Nestor, can you do this? Nestor, can you do that? And what is it that, what is it the answer that most men respond? I'll do it right now. When is right now? When is right now? See, we can't even agree when right now is. Right? So, procrastination can lead to, to destroyed walls, immorality. Let me tell you, let me tell you. Nothing will destroy your life like sin will. And when we allow sin, sin begins to create a gap between us and God. And we don't make time for God. And when we let us know it, our walls are destroyed. That's why in this series, we're going to talk about four walls. Listen to this. That the Holy Spirit wants to build in our lives. And that's good news. Because these four things are really hard for us to do in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit does them for us. And then he empowers us to be able to walk and live in these four things that he does. So throughout the next weeks, we're going to build the walls. And today we're going to talk about the first wall. And that is the wall of unity. Let me tell you, a nation without unity is a weak nation. A church without unity is a weak church. A family without unity is a weak family. A marriage without unity is a weak marriage. Now, the awesome thing 
is that as Christians, and I'll tell you before the sermon ends, unity is something that the Holy Spirit does that then we are called to walk in. So if we're going to rebuild our lives, the first wall that we need to rebuild is the wall of unity. It's no secret that our nation is divided. It's no secret that many churches are divided today. It's no secret that many families are divided today. And the first wall that needs to be rebuilt is the wall of unity. How do we rebuild the wall of unity? Now, I need you to understand something. When I talk about how do we rebuild, I'm talking about how do we, through the Holy Spirit, give him the freedom so that he can rebuild these walls in our life. Amen? You understand that? Let me give you three things that we need to do to be able to rebuild the wall of unity. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to recognize the damage that disunity produces. We need to recognize the damage that disunity produces. It is said, listen, it is said that you will never go from where you are to the next place you need to go until the place you are becomes so uncomfortable that it is greater pain to stay here than it is the pain to go to the next place. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Um, most of us will not change our habits of eating, our unhealthy eating habits, until the doctor says, unless you start eating this way, you're going to die. It isn't until death becomes such a greater pain than the pain that it is to eat broccoli and kale and carrots and say no to soda and say no to Starbucks. And if we're going to move to unity... If we're going to move to unity, we need to recognize the great damage that this unity causes in our lives. Look at what Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 says. And what's going on here, um, they've began to rebuild the walls. They began the plan. And, and look at what happens it says, but when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Jessam, the Arab, heard about it, when they heard that they were rebuilding the walls, look at what they did. They mocked and what? Ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right to it. You know what we tend to do with this unity? We play it down. We ignore it. We say, oh, it's not such a big deal. It's not really happening. And we don't want it to be a big deal. But the truth is that disunity is a big deal. Disunity brings, brings chaos. Disunity brings destruction. Disunity stops progress from being, being able to happen. And I want you to notice that in the verses that we read, there's opposition. There's a fight going on. And this fight going on is between two people that in reality should have been united. They're not strangers. They're fellow brothers and sisters. They should have been united working, but they were not. 
And the question now becomes, well, why weren't they united? Why is it that Nehemiah and those that came from the exile were in opposition with uh, Jerusalem and these other guys? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Tobias and Jeshem were the group of people that were left in Jerusalem when the exile happened. When the, when the Israelites were taken to Babylon, very few people were left behind to care for the land, to nurture the land, and to care for the interests of Babylon as the Israelites had been taken to Babylon. After 70 years, the Israelites return and they find these people there. And guess what? They're not too happy with them. Why? Because as I suffered, you got to stay home. As I had to leave my house, you took over mine. And the group of people that lived in the same land that should have worked together to rebuild, what were they doing? They were angry at each other. And that's why even Nehemiah says in verse 20, look at what he says to them in verse 20. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. In other words, we, you're not, you're, you're, you're the other kind. Right. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, what does he say to them? You have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic ride to it. Listen to me, church. When the I and the mine are greater than the ours, we will never have unity. A marriage that. The I and the mine is greater than the us and the we is a marriage that will never have unity. A church where the I and the mine are greater than the we and the us is a church that will never have unity. And anything that doesn't have unity does not have strength. I can. I don't want to. What about the we? What about the us? See, the I and the mind will always create disunity. And disunity will bring frustration. That's what a lot of you are feeling in your relationships because there's no unity. You're frustrated because you can't advance. You can't make any progress. You can't get anything done because there's no unity. There's no strength. And you find yourself fighting the wind. Because disunity brings frustration. Without unity, we will not accomplish anything. We will not, because we're going to be fighting each other. We're going to be jealous of each other. We're going to be putting each, other's, each other down. Without unity, we will not reach our goals. And see, this is how ugly disunity is. So the first thing that we have to do if we want to rebuild the wall of unity is understand how hurtful, how damaging disunity is in our midst. We can't be a church that doesn't have unity. You cannot afford to be a family that doesn't have unity. And I'll tell you what, when the Christian families become united, the church will become united and our nation will become united. Our nation is not going to be united by a politician. Our nation is not going to be united by laws. No, the gospel is the one who unites. Second, 
Second, to build a wall of unity, we need to examine the enormous benefits that unity produces. A lot of times we forsake unity because we don't understand the great benefits that unity has. Look at what Psalms 133 verses 1 through 3 says. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in what? Unity. Unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Sion. For there the Lord bestows what? His blessing, even life. What? Forevermore. Let me give you some benefits of unity that are found in this verse. The first benefit of unity is that unity produces life. Unity produces life. I don't mean to be vulgar, I don't mean to be gross, but the clearest example of this is the physical anatomy of our bodies coming together to produce a wonderful living babies. Unity produces life. Look at how verse one says, it says, how good and what? Pleasant. Good means that it is satisfying, that it is correct. Pleasant speaks about something beautiful, about something delicious, about something that is enriching. And, and the psalmist says, how good and pleasant it is when God, when what? Listen to this. God's people. God's people live together in what? Unity. unity. Pastor, does that mean we can't have unity with non-Christians? We can, but it's not always possible. That's why the Bible says, as far as it's possible, be in harmony or be at peace with others. At times, there isn't peace and unity are not going to be possible with believers and non-believers. But let me tell you, if you got Jesus Christ in your heart, there's no reason why you and I shouldn't have peace and unity. And the first benefit of unity is that it produces life. It produces good things. The second thing is that unity attracts anointing. Unity attracts anointing. What do we mean by anointing? Anointing is the favor, is the authority. It's the power of God. Look, look at what, what that verse says. It says, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, ran, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Sion. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture this. When they would anoint the priest and the kings, but especially the priests, the, the high priest, they would pour oil. And uh, I believe it was uh, Manolo who was sharing with us on Revival Weekend that, you know, it wasn't like they would dab his forehead with a little bit of oil. No, they would bring this big jar of oil that was just, it smelled so good. And they would just pour it on on him. Like picture taking the most expensive cologne and pouring a barrel of it over yourself. You know, you would just have this strong stench, a good aroma. Now, here's the beautiful part of this. What was it that the high priest would do? The high priest was in charge of offering sacrifices. I hope you don't know what I mean, but killing animals is a stinky process. 
killing sheep and goats and all these animals and burning them wasn't a pleasant aroma. It didn't smell like like prime rib. It didn't smell like like a steakhouse. It, it smelled more like 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 it, it was just nasty. And amongst all these sacrifices, check this out. The high priest would walk around and because the anointing oil was upon him, there was this aroma that he brought. And see, when there's unity, God's anointing is on there. God's power is there. Without unity, there's no power. Now, God's power is not found in the I and the mind, but in the we and the us. Third thing. The third benefit that unity produces is that unity produces what we all want, God's blessing. The verse finishes by saying, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. One version says the Lord commands his blessing. Another version says the Lord has appointed appointed the blessing. Uh, the New Living Bible says the Lord has pronounced his blessing. So when there's unity, God bestows, God commands, God appoints, God pronounces his blessing over our people. Church, if we want God's blessing, we have to rebuild the wall of unity. God will send his blessing wherever there is unity. So first we realize how damaging, how hurtful disunity is. Second, we, rec we recognize, we examine the benefits. And the third thing, you ready for this? And this is one of the main reasons we don't have unity where we don't have it. We got to fight for unity. We got to fight for unity. Pastor, fight is such a hard word. Yes. Here's why you got to fight for unity. Because you know who is trying to create this unity among us. I, 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 listen, I know the argument's with your husband, but it's not your husband. Okay. I know the argument is with your boss, but it's not your boss. I know your frustration is with the LA traffic, but it's not the traffic. See, behind Behind every act of disunity is the father of lies, is Satan. And let me tell you, he's not going to go because you're nice to him. You're going to have to kick his butt out of your marriage. You're going to have to kick his butt out of the church. You're going to have to kick his butt out of your relationship. You got to fight for unity. See, if we allow disunity to win, he wins. He wins. So you got to fight. Stop fighting with each other and start fighting for each other. Yeah. Amen. You fight for unity. Look at what Ephesians 4.3 says. It says, make every effort. Look at this. Make every effort to what? Okay. I know we give you outlines, but you got to go home and you got to underline this verse in your Bibles. Make every effort to what? To keep yourselves united in the spirit. Why does it say keep? Why not say to make yourself united? Because we don't make unity. 
That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to stay, to keep ourselves united. It is not ourselves who sanctify ourselves. He sanctifies us. It is our responsibility to stay sanctified and to walk in holiness. You follow me? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in what? Not in politics. Not in sports, which by the way, the Dodgers are going to win today and the Giants are going to lose. Amen. We're, we're going to have an intercession service at my house tonight as the Dodgers play. I'm joking. I'm joking. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Look at this. Look at this. Binding yourselves together with what? With peace. Let me tell you, unity is not easily obtained. It is not easily obtained. Unity is not cheap. And if you think it's easy and if you think it's cheap, all you need to do is look at the cross to know how hard and how expensive unity is. But unity, listen to me, unity requires intentionality. Unity requires sacrifice. And I want to say this very lovingly. I want to say very lovingly. We're not going to be a united church if you come in late and you leave out of here flying. Takes intentionality. You know why we have a cafe? A part that we like coffee. We have a cafe because we want you to mingle and enjoy the unity that we have in the spirit. You know why we have life groups? Because we want you to grow in your faith. But second, because we want you to be connected to your church family. How can we say there's unity when all we know is the back of somebody's head? We got to fight for unity. We got to be intentional. Let me tell you something. It is never going to be convenient and easy for you to join a life group. Never. Never. If you're you're waiting for the day when you don't have to work anymore and your kids can take care of themselves and you got all the money. Let me tell you, there's some people like that in our church and it's still hard for them to go to a life group. Takes intentionality. Takes intentionality. But once again, let me go back to our point two. What are the benefits of unity. You know what? This last semester in our life group has been one of my favorite ones. We got some new people in our life group and we had a blast. We, 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 we were like, man, we wish we could continue. We're looking forward to starting again because there's benefits. I've gotten to know people on a more intimate level. They've gotten to know me. We celebrate each other's birthdays. Even if it's just a text, we can pray for one another because unity takes intentionality and we got to fight for it. We got to fight for it. How do you maintain unity? Well, you do that through the bond of peace. You do that through the bond of peace. And last week I spoke to you about peace, the peace that comes from God. Let me tell you something. If you ever have a hard time saying, well, how do I know How how do I maintain peace? Really simple. You ready for this? It's simple but hard. Just let the Holy Spirit live through your life. Put your flesh aside and let the Holy Spirit. 
What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Not anger, not bickering, not revenge, not, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's our flesh. And that's what leads to disunity. What is the Holy Spirit? You know what? I came here really early and I was so excited to sit here and you got here late, but I'm going to give up my seat so that you could sit with your family. That's how we keep the peace, by letting the Holy Spirit be the one to live or, or as Galatians says, to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Amen? Now, we need peace. Peace leads to unity. But another key element of peace is love. Look at what Colossians 3.14 says. It says, and over all these virtues, put on what? Love, which binds them all together in what? Perfect unity. Without love, we can't have unity. Without love, we can't go anywhere. Love is the most powerful unifying factor. Look at what Matthew 22, 37 and 39 says. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And look at this second part. This A second is what? Equally important. Love your neighbor. But the order is first what? To love God. Here's why. If you can love God, you'll have the love of God and you'll be able to love others. In fact, John says that if you say you love God, but you don't love your brothers, that you're a liar. That you're a liar. That, that you cannot love God and not love people. That if you love God, then loving people will be natural, will be easier. And when you love people, it'll be easier to keep the peace. And when you got peace, it'll be, it'll be easier to enjoy unity. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.